What's up, party people? Welcome to this week's episode of Romancing Nancy Drew. I'm your host, Indy Nickerson, which stands for Nancy Drew Nickerson. You can find me at that handle on Twitter, or you can find me at Romancing Nancy on Twitter if you are so inclined. Um, I was like, should I explain this for people who may have stumbled into this, which I think is exactly no one, but imagine if your slightly tipsy friend who is deeply, deeply into Nancy and Ned's relationship in the Nancy Drew books is the person telling you about the book that she just read. That's where we're at. We are in the Mystery Stories series, and we are in 1952 now. I do love that it was a book a year. They were like, you know what? We've got other shit to do. Also, it's, it's becoming increasingly bonkers for us to come up with new plots, so you just need to know that. This week, we're doing Mystery at the Ski Jump, which when I was but a youth, I was like, oh, so it's just a place where people like to hop on snow. A thing that I've never seen before in my life. And of course, because Nancy's in Illinois for... I mean, kind of Illinois for most of the series. Like, this is not a thing that she normally does. But of course, you were like, does she rock at it? And 100% she fucking rocks at it. You know this. Also, the other thing that this week's episode is really about is multi-level marketing. Like, let's just be real about that. Nancy stumbles into this really weird case. I mean, let's... uh, that's like the basic plot of every single fucking Nancy Drew book. Nancy stumbles into a weird case. Um, for this one, Nancy's father has actually got a case that's happening in Montreal. I have no fucking clue how Carson has a case in Montreal. Like, that's never really explained. Did he run into somebody at some sort of cotillion? Did, does he get a lot of fan mail from throughout the United States and also Canada and possibly also Mexico? We do not know. We don't know. Anyway, um, so he and Nancy are going to go to Montreal, but they're not there yet. And the book actually fucking opens with Nancy walking home in the, like, blowing snow, pulling her coat tighter around her. We have no fucking clue where she was. She never explains. (laughs) So she's walking home when all of a sudden a car fucking runs over the sidewalk right in front of her, practically knocks her down and crashes into somebody's front porch. And Nancy's like what the fuck just happened which sure so she goes up to the car opens up the door the person who owns the house of course comes out of the house and is like whoa what the hell so nancy walks in nancy walks up to the car and she's like oh and they have to get the woman out of the car it's a woman who is like basically passed out over the steering wheel so they pull her into the house they put her on the couch uh nancy and the person and i think her name is like mrs miller uh nancy of course knows her because she's in river heights and she knows every single fucking person who lives in river heights who is not a villain um so she's like oh nancy it's you oh i i don't know who this is and nancy's like we should probably call a doctor because the woman has is passed out she's not doing anything And so the woman calls for the doctor. This is back in the day when doctors made house calls, or at least were pretending that doctors made house calls in 1952. I I guess they did. Sure, why not? So they call the doctor, but the doctor is out attending to other patients in the snowstorm, which it seems like it is a legit snowstorm, as in the roads are actually legit blocked off. They don't even say that that's the reason why the woman ran off the road, though. Like, it's... Although I do know that cars were like super hella dangerous in 1952. So who knows? Um, anyway, they're in the other room. They're talking about calling the doctor when the they hear from the other room. Why would you want to call a doctor? Everything is fine here. And so they go back in there and the woman is sitting up and she has a compact that she's pulled out of her purse. And she's just touching up her makeup, just making sure she looks pretty for the lack of airbags that didn't bash her nose in. She has 
very dark, like blue black hair. She's tall. She has a fair complexion. So you're like, oh, so maybe not a villain. Because remember, if you're fair, you may not be a villain in Nancy True books. Um, she's well-spoken. When she sits up, Mrs. Miller's like, oh, I didn't recognize you. It's you, Mrs. Channing. And she's like, hello. Um, and so, of course, Mrs. Miller introduces Nancy to Mrs. Channing. She's like, hi, so this is Nancy Drew. She's a famous detective. And hilariously, when they're talking in the kitchen, Mrs. Miller is like, she does not know about your other cases, including the clue of the black keys, italicized, which I'm like, really, really clever product placement, y'all. Just Let's just draw attention to the previous books in this series. She has not read previous books in this series. She does not know about your status as an amateur detective. She's also described as blonde in this. Side note, the cover, Nancy is wearing a, like, it is not a cherry red sweater. It's like that shade that's closer to coral where you're going toward, like, hot orange. She's also wearing, like, some very ill-advised yellow mittens. She's looking back over her shoulder at this person who, in the glare of blue filter night, because we got to make sure that you can make up all of the, the background, um... There's somebody who appears to be doing a ski jump, except for he looks like he's also probably going to crash to his own death. And somebody who is sneaking up on Nancy with a something in his hands that looks like he's about to, who knows, like fucking come at her. He's wearing a red ball cap. It does not say MAGA on it. Is the MAGA implied? Possibly. Um, but he looks white, but also shifty eyed because, of course. So that's what we've got going on the cover. It is not at all one of my favorite covers. We're not rocking it. Just Let's just own that. We're not rocking it. We are not at a Reedy Nappy cover. This is not a Reedy Nappy cover. Also, this isn't even the original cover, I don't think. Yeah, the original cover. I also don't like the original cover. I cannot think of a single cover of this volume that I actually enjoy. I think there's one where she's wearing earmuffs where you're like, mm, it's just a dorky look on everybody. You just need to know that. It's fine. Like you know, own it. You need to wear those earmuffs. Just rock it. So Nancy's in this house and she's like, oh, Mrs. Channing. And so Mrs. Channing is like, oh, Nancy's a detective. And she's, and Mrs. Miller's like, yeah, and her dad's a famous lawyer. Maybe you've heard of him. And Mrs. Channing is like, yeah, so, um, I'll be right back. And she just fucking leaves, which props. Um, Nancy, like, they leave the room to do, uh, oh, I think she's like, oh, a cup of tea would be fantastic when they walk back and she's gone. She has peaced out. She's taking the car with her. Nancy's like, what the, f well, I, oh, okay. And of course, Mrs. Miller's fucking pissed because she's like, she did not even offer to pay for the fact that she basically ripped the front porch off my house. And Nancy's like, that's a point. So she goes home. Her dad arrives pretty soon after, and Nancy walks up to Hannah, and she's like, Hannah, I'm so sorry. I'm, a car practically ran into me. And then Ned calls, and Ned, and he's described as her friend. There is no adjective in front of it. There is nothing like longtime friend, special friend, fuck buddy friend, and none of those things. Um, Ned's like, are you coming to the dance next week? And Nancy's like, am I? Girl, you know it. The thing that I love about this is that, A, she doesn't mention the fact that she almost just got creamed by a car. A second, I feel like, B, I feel like Ned, of course, at this point in his career, as he is now a high-class, well-known spy who is working on behalf of the United States government or maybe some sort of extra-governmental agency to do some research at Emerson, um, clearly has spies on Nancy at all times. And clearly, Are You Coming to the Dance Next Week is... 
I saw that you were practically murdered. Are you okay? And Nancy's response of, I will be there with bells on is, girl, you know it. Also, we need to get some banging in. Clearly. I mean, I don't even need to decode this for you. You already knew this. It's fine. So, I just thought it was hilarious. And it's like a casually calling, you're coming to the dance next week. Yep. Okay, we're good. That's it. That's all I needed to know. Needed to know if I need to stock up on condoms. It's fine. So, um, Nancy's talking to her dad, who is, he's about to leave for Montreal, but Nancy, because she finds out about this thing that happened, we'll circle back, um, decides that she's going to stay in River Heights for a while. So her father's going to go ahead, head up to Montreal, interview the person, his client, about whatever is happening, which he doesn't seem to be really clear on at this point. And so Nancy's like, okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can figure out what's happening with Mrs. Channing. Yeah, I think that's... I don't fucking care if that's the name she's going by. Let's be honest. Okay, so her name, it we find out, this is the lady with the blue-black hair who rammed her car into somebody else's home and then just walked away from that, as one does. Her name is Mitzi, M-I-T-Z-I, which it stands out in the text. You look at it and you're like, a name with a Z in it. Mm, interesting. So Mitzi Channing has been going around to various people in River Heights and remember how I said this was about a multi-level marketing instead of selling them Herbalife. She walks up and she's like, oh my God, I'm selling mink stoles for half price. And also if you would like to buy stock in the company, I happen to have some of that as well. So she went to talk to Mrs. Miller. She went, she actually sold some to Hannah Gruen, the Drew housekeeper. For those of you who were like, I was not keeping up. I just remember John Ham. I have not mentally cast Hannah. Let's be honest. Like, I think I've I think I've said that like Tyne Daly could pull it off. I mean, it just depends on which era Hannah you're looking at. Somebody who seems matronly and also likes to worry, but also is good at cooking. So just fill in with whoever in your life is that person. Um, the opposite of Jenna from Thirty Rock. So Hannah bought some stock and this really pretty mink, and they describe it as a scarf, which I was like, I have literally never heard of anybody describe anything as a mink scarf. Maybe it's because I, I do not operate in this echelon. Um, I don't feel incredibly comfortable about discussing mink as a thing, like raising tiny animals and then harvesting their coats, just... It's like that Golden Girls episode when they were trying to raise some and they were like, yeah, they don't just give it to you. Like, you have to kill them. And I'm like, uh, nothing's pretty enough for that. But anyway, so just just be aware that minks, minks are a thing and they have fur. Okay, so Nancy finds out that a lot of people in River Heights have apparently fallen for this scam. So the woman gives them a mink at a like ridiculously reduced rate, and then she sells them stock in the company. Um, Nancy finds out that the person in question, because Dr. Britt, who was the doctor who was called, comes over because, of course, his nurse was like, oh, I'll try to get in touch with him. He's out in the snowstorm. She finally gets in touch with him. He comes over to Mrs. Miller's house. Um, Carson's over there at that point, too, because he wants to ask more questions about this stock swindling adventure. Also, the one's like, can I sue her for running into my porch? And Carson's like, mm, I, uh, maybe. And the one, Mrs. Miller's like, can I sue her company? And Carson's like, that's even trickier because if she is operating a company vehicle or she is operating a company, a vehicle for company business, then possibly we would have to check into that. 
but Nancy's pretty damn sure that the stock is completely worthless. And so that's her main goal here is to track down the people who are swindling everybody at River Heights out of worthless pieces of paper and some minks. Which again, I was like, that's, uh, um, Hannah spent $50, which when I put that into the inflation calculator was like $535. Is that she just handed over to this lady for stocks? And I was like, yeah, I would not do that. For me, that would be a significant percentage of my monthly salary. Significant. Um, yeah, like olive gas to fill up my tank. It's fine. Um, so that's part of what Nancy's into. She just wants to find out, like, what the f- what the fuck. She wants to get the money back. Um, so when they go talk to her, um, they find out that Mr. Britt actually is like, oh, I think it- he connects him with the nurse who was like, oh, somebody matching that description came in a few days ago. She had a large muscular man with her who she described as her husband, Mr. R.I. Channing, because, of course, she's Mrs. R.I. Channing. Um, she complained of some sort of injury, but when the nurse came back into the, like, she left her alone to go make some tea or offer a beverage or something. When she came back in the room, the woman was like, oh, I can't wait. And they left. And Nancy said, she went through your files. Like, almost certainly she went through your files. So what they find out is that, yes, indeed, the woman went to the daughter's office, was left in the room with the file folders, and they made a list of the client, of the customers that sounds weird. The people who come to that particular doctor's office or are his patients, they made a list of them and then started calling on them with this stock squindle. So that means that um, Nancy starts calling people that would have made sense out of that file. And she immediately finds out that one of them who lives nearby, who is extremely wealthy, they soaked her for a thousand, which again, if $50 is 500, holy shit. But when Nancy goes over to talk to her, like the woman's like, Oh, it might have been fake. Oh, okay. Um, let's have some tea. Which I wish that I could just blow off. I mean, it's fine. I I have that as just money that's in a coffee can in my... Uh, it's fine. Anyway. The fun thing that happens the next day is that Nancy's talking to Bess and George about her adventures. And they are downtown in River Heights. They're going around talking to different people who may... They're trying to find the woman, actually. They're trying to see if maybe she took the car to a garage. Maybe she's staying at a hotel. They're not sure. So they're going around trying to check out where she might have been. And Nancy is stopped by the police, which Nancy's like, do you know who I am? It's very much John Hamm, the inventor of Toaster Strudel, is not here for this shit. When they stop the car and the policeman who again, policeman, police officer, who Nancy's never seen before. And she's like, I know all y'all motherfuckers, so who are you? Um, Because, again, do you know who my father is? Do you know who I am? Um, The cop is like, yeah, I'm going to need to see your license because you were going, you're going too fast. They, of course, had spotted a car that matched the description, and so they were following the car. And so Nancy's like, I was following a suspect. And the cop's like, sure thing, honey, where's your license? Nancy looks in her wallet and her license is gone, along with her identifying cards. I was like, what other identifying cards would Nancy have had at this time? Nancy was born in, what, 1912, 1914? I don't think she would have had a social security number. It's fine. Um, maybe. Anyway, what a, her library card, maybe. We don't know. So her license is stolen. So the the cop is like, oh, well, that's two reasons to take you into the station. Nancy's like, go ahead and fucking take me, girl. Do it. Do it. Bess is like, do you know who she is? And the cop's like, no, and I don't give a fuck. Get in the car. 
So, of course, he takes Nancy back to Chief of Police McGinnis, who is like, hey, girl, hey. And the cop's like, and Chief McGinnis is like, you know, you're basically an honorary cop because you solve half our cases. And I wish I were exaggerating. He almost says that. He says very close to that. And the cop in question, who has never met her before, is like, oh, shit. And the cop's like, yeah, oh, shit. Yeah, that's that's the right response. Um, so of course, Chief McGinnis is like, okay, well, I know that you have your license. I've seen it several times. Also know who your dad is, John Hamm. So you're fine. Just go make sure that you request a duplicate license. So Nancy thinks back and she tries to figure out when exactly she would have lost her license. She's like, oh, I forgot to check for it in my wallet this morning. Girl, nobody checks to make sure their license is in their wallet, or at least I don't. I mean, I flip it open to see if I've got my debit card, but so she goes to talk. She, of course, requests her license. Bess is like, well, I'll just drive her around. It's fine. I've got my license. And so they're like, that's fine. But again, she can't, Nancy can't legally, quote unquote, drive until she gets her replacement license in. And again, this is 1952. So it's going to take a hot minute. So she can't drive anywhere. Um, yeah. So they're still trying to track down Mrs. Channing. Um, they eventually figure out, okay. Let's let's just go over all of it here. Nancy finds out that Mitzi used to actually do figure skating. So I felt very Tanya Harding-esque when I walked into this. Although she, physically, I feel that Mitzi is pretty much the opposite of Tanya Harding, other than being quite muscular. Um, so yeah, she's tall. She's She is taller than Nancy. She's about 35 years old. She's got the blue-black hair and the fair skin. Um, she used to do figure skating, um, but... And Nancy is actually watching TV with Hannah one night and they see a figure skating program. I think, no, actually it's with Eloise. It's her aunt. She's watching it with Aunt Eloise. Um, She sees her figure skating. She recognizes Mitzi in the group of figure skaters and she's like, what the shit? So she writes to the people who made that video and they're like, she stole some costumes. We are not friends with her anymore. But there's this pl- a time later in the book where Nancy actually like finds her off like just figure skating alone by herself for the fun of it. And I'm like, I've got a lot of questions. Mitzi doesn't actually speak a lot directly in the text. Um, we hear a lot more from her husband and the other g- accomplice who was involved in this. And it does make me think that she got roped into this by these other two men in her life who... I mean, it's never said that, like, she was injured or anything. And if anything, I would say that she probably physically more resembles Nancy Kerrigan. But it's it's really interesting. We don't have anything like Mitzi was always a, a career criminal. Mitzi was always a bad person. It's like she's mad at Nancy for being on her trail and trying to track down what the fuck they're doing. But anyway, so this is what the scheme is, as you've already figured out. The paper is worthless. Um, They refer to Dunstan Lake as the place where the stock is, the stock headquarters is, the the headquarters for the company, which is called Forest Fur Company. Just Forest Fur Company. I mean, I have to admire the simplicity of it. It's like, have you heard of Forest Fur Company? It could be anything. It could be trees. It could be animals. We don't know. Um. So yeah, they're selling the worthless stock. They're selling the minks. And what Nancy figures out eventually is that what they're doing is, or what Mitzi is doing is she's going to different stores and shoplifting mink. 
So she'll go into like, a, you know, the River Heights for location. She'll go into wherever. She might buy one, but then she like shoplifts three or four more. So that's what she does. She represents those as the minks from the company. So people see them and they're like, oh my God, this is a fantastic mink. Because Nancy, of course, at first was like, are they giving you the mink so cheaply because it's cheaply made? Like, it's just not a good mink. And there's one point where Bess is like, I can't tell a good mink from a bad mink. I just know that it's mink. And therefore, it has a status symbol and I love it. Yeah, they're, mm. but when they inspect it, they're like, oh, okay, this does seem like high quality pri- goods. And it's because they're basically anything they get from it is a profit. They're selling worthless pieces of paper. Anything they get from that is a profit. So. So yeah, so there's that. The thing that happens next is Nancy finds out that somebody has been impersonating her. So yeah, um, she goes into a store and after she's tracked Mitzi and her confederates to another town, she goes into a first store and, and she says, hi, my name is Nancy Drew. And immediately the proprietor locks her in a closet to call the police because he's like, you're here to rob my store. And Nancy's like, what? What? And then, of course, Bess and George follow her in and are like, what, why is Nancy in a closet? She's she's a good person. And because the presence of so many white people that are protesting innocence, they're like, oh, okay, okay, oh, sure, sure, it's okay. Although my favorite part of all of this when I was reading it is that Bess's father, who you will remember, was at a council meeting in a previous book. This is the one where somebody broke into his house and stole his diamond ring, which, again, I've got questions. What kind of secret society is happening? It's fine. Um he calls his broker in New York and confirms that there is no such thing as a forest fur company that is actually publicly trading stock. And I was like, Carson didn't even do that. Is Bess's family wealthier than, I mean, it's possible. It's totally possible. I do love that idea though, that like Nancy's got money, but Bess is just rolling in it. Like Scrooge McDuck in it, just swimming and oodles of cash. I love it. Although there's, I wouldn't say that there's really an element of gold digging to Bess in the original books. I would say that there is an element of Bess really wanting the cachet of being attached to a cool guy in the files, but she's Bess, y'all. She got needs. Okay, so Carson has proceeded on to Montreal and, of course, has told Nancy to be careful, as always. You know this. John Hamm has got things to do, but he wants his daughter to be protected. Um, so yeah, Nancy's going around trying to track down where exactly these people are going, what they're trying to do, who they exactly are. So all that fun stuff is happening. She eventually gets a lead that, and I can't exactly, there's so many weird coincidences in these books. There's one thing, like, there's a Mystery Science Theater thing where it's like, this villain relies on a lot of coincidence to make this shit work. And for a lot of Nancy Drew books, that's also true. Where it's just like, you know, if the timing hadn't worked out correctly, if somebody did not have every all their shit monogrammed, if somebody did not, like, insist upon using the same alias in different scenarios. But anyway. Um... Mitzi used Nancy's name and she apparently Nancy's like she must have altered my driver's license because like she's significantly older than I am and her physical appearance is different so apparently Mitzi just got out a a pen and a brush and just modified Nancy's driver's license to match her which I'm like did she just paint some hair on like how did she handle this anyway 
Um, yeah, she presented Nancy's ID to buy furs at a department store and then just shoplifted like three or four more because, you know, she was running out of stock. She needed some stock to show to people. It's fine. Um, Nancy finds out that she has a hunch, actually. The Forest Fur Company is based in Vermont. She gets some information that possibly... Mr. R.I. Channing is in New York, so of course, as always, she heads to New York to hang out with her aunt. The thing I fucking hate about this one, and this does not have the feel of a Mildred Wirt Benson, Millie is the OG, y'all. I, I do love that Millie was like, I hate the fact that I'm basically known as Carolyn Keene forever, that this is what I'm known for, because this was just a fucking job, y'all. Like, this was just me ghostwriting some shit for money. Like, let it go. I do love that. I love that she was that salty about it. And also that she fucking rocked at the job. Like, props, girl. I'm giving you props. Um, Aunt Eloise is referred to as Aunt Lou in this one. And I'm like, she is Aunt Eloise. She is always Aunt Eloise, you motherfuckers. But the fun thing here is that Aunt Eloise has a summer house in the Adirondacks. And I was like... Girl, yes, she does. And also, Nancy and Ed occasionally need to have a little getaway in the Adirondacks. And they know where the key is. Yes. I'm here for all of this shit. All of it. Okay, so... Getting back to the main story, Nancy decides to go to New York, of course. She gets on the airplane. She loves it. She goes, she loves going to New York. She loves that shit. Um, she lands. She talks to her Aunt Eloise. They decide to see if they can find... Ooh, 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 okay. Um... One of the things that she, that Nancy discovered when she was going around talking to people who had apparently been swindled by this trio, because they eventually figure out that it's a trio, um, the woman who had a lot of money, um, the one who gave $1,000, she had a pair of earrings that was also stolen, like, right around the time that the person came to her house and, you know, gave her this entire spiel about having these incredibly awesome furs and blah, blah, blah. Um, her maid, the wealthy woman's maid, walks in, hears about this, like, spills the tray of tea all over her mistress, runs upstairs, locks herself in her room and is sobbing loudly. And she's like, why would she do that? She stole my earrings. I don't, what the fuck is going on? And Nancy's like, mm, let me go talk to her. So she goes up and she's like, hey, well, you know, what's, what's going on? We're concerned about you. And the maid is like, she's going to have me arrested. She hates me. And Nancy's like, I, we all make mistakes sometimes, sweetie. What happened? And the maid's like, because she bought stock in the company, I did too. Because, you know, I thought that if she was doing it, that it was an intelligent decision. So I, I, turned over like $25 of my money that I was going to send overseas to my family, which again, this means that the maid is an immigrant and she's trying to send money back for her family. And she got it as an advance on her salary to send back to her family, but she spent it on these, these actual like con artists. So anyway, she's despondent. Nancy brings her downstairs and she's like, look, actually like she was not exactly flattering her mistress, but like saying that she, you know, she trusted her judgment because she's, she also gave money and she's like, oh honey, it's fine. But I love that she was like, she stole everything. And then she's like, oh no, it's cool. Like we're besties again. And you're like, you're such a fucking bitch. Um, but 
The wealthy woman had a brooch that matched the earrings, which apparently were in the shape of arrows and had little diamonds in them. So she hands the brooch over to Nancy and is like, you will have this. The earrings match this. If you run into them, then you will be able to match them. And Nancy's like, I didn't actually say that I would take the, okay, um, yeah, I'll, I'll do what I can. And Nancy found herself saying in horror. So that's fun. Good times. Good times. Um, so yeah, um, Nancy's pretty sure that the person who stole the earrings headed to New York. So that's where they go. They track them down to a specific hotel. I can't remember exactly how she does this, but anyway, um, it's, there's a woman in the lobby, Miss Reynolds, who, let's see, Bunny, Bunny Reynolds, Bunny Reynolds, uh, Bunny Reynolds is in the lobby and she's like, oh, who are you here to see? And Nancy's like, um, Mr. Channing. And they're like, nobody's here about that name. And Nancy's like, oh, okay. A, a big muscular guy. I don't know. Like anybody trying to sell you guys furs. So Bunny's like, oh, well, you know, I wouldn't have bought stock in the company, but he said it was really hard up. And, and he also had some diamond earrings that he said belonged to his mom, but he said that he had not met anybody who could pull them off the way I could because I am fantastic. And Nancy's like, can I see the earrings that he sold you? So Bunny, Bunny Reynolds goes up to her room and she's like, Okay, it's here. It's in a fucking silk stocking that she has rolled up in the back. Like, she has got elaborate anti-theft measures that she has taken. She took the box, put it into a silk stocking, rolled it up, put it at the back of her wardrobe, blah, blah. So she unrolls all that, and when she pulls out the box, the box is fucking empty. And Nancy's like, that tracks. So he sold you some earrings. She's like, I haven't opened them since he gave them to me. And Nancy's like, that was a fucking mistake. Like, you should you should open that shit. You should check it out. I'm just saying. Just saying. Um, they go check his room. He it's cleared out. Nobody seems to be in it. Um, they find out, of course, that the maid who had been making up the room also bought stock in this fucking fake company. Of course, they had. They call the cops. The cops come in. His name is Police Sergeant Rolf. Which, as soon as I saw it, I was picturing him as a muppet. So picture the dog muppet who has come. He's wearing a police hat to make him look official, and he has come to investigate. So the Muppet police dog. He's here to investigate. The sergeant was a big man with ham-like hands. I always just picture like legit hams at the end of his hand, of his arms. Um, okay. I'm, I'm reading from the book now. After hearing Bunny's story, this is Rolf. He demanded to see the brooch, which matched the stolen earrings. If you don't mind, I'll take this down to the police laboratory and have some photographs made. He told Nancy after examining it. Then we can give the pictures to our men and have them watch out for those earrings. Which, again, like, there's a lot of optimism that's happening in this passage. Sidney Boyd may try to sell them again. Sidney Boyd is the um, alias that the bad guy is using at this hotel. Isn't he wonderful? Bunny cooed, fluttering her eyelashes, fluttering her eyelashes at the policeman. You'll get back my money for me right away, won't you, Sergeant? Why is she blanched Devereaux? Shut up. You'll capture that that deceitful Sydney Boyd. The sergeant looked embarrassed. Now, Miss Reynolds, give me time, he protested. Maybe I can have the report for you by tomorrow afternoon. For for insurance reasons? Bunny rolled her green eyes at him. Oh dear, must you take that long? She pouted. Can't you get me some action by tonight? Which Get some action. Like, I read this and I was like, girl, we all know what you're talking about. Sergeant Rolf fidgeted uncomfortably. The Muppet was uncomfortable. Well, uh, the fact is, a lot of the men will be pretty busy tonight, Miss Reynolds. He stammered. It's the policeman's ball, which, 
I had always heard as the punchline to jokes, so I love that they're sticking to the bit here. Oh, I see, the actress said in a small, hurt voice. You'll be dancing and having a good time while I... Bunny's lip quivered and she dabbed pathetically at her eyes. The sergeant observed her distress and took a deep breath. Look, I've got no special lady friend, he blurted. Suppose you come along with me? Bunny Reynolds dropped her tragic air like a cloak. Why, sergeant, what a delightful idea, she beamed. I'd love to go. Nancy beckoned to her aunt. I think this is our cue for an exit, she chuckled. If the sergeant will just write out a receipt for the brooch, we'll be on our way. Because I don't trust y'all as far as I can throw you, I've never met you. You muppet. <laughs> the stupidest thing. I mean, okay, I've, I saw somebody talking about this lately. The rid- most ridiculous thing about this book to me is the fact that they're leaning in real hard on the, like, we're having a trapper dinner. We're going to be doing skiing things and coonskin cap and venison like oh my god just just fucking tone it down a notch so that's the thing that we're going to end this section on is nancy having a her school teacher aunt i'm gonna remind you of that her school teacher aunt on a school teacher salary has a fucking vacation home in the adirondacks that she goes to during the summertime yeah anyway the school teacher had been so interested that she had chosen a trapper's dinner and i'm like oh are there booby traps in it? Are there roofies? Um, when the table was finally set with lighted candles and gleaming silver, which, again, okay. Nancy heaved an ecstatic sigh. Mm, how delicious everything looks, she exclaimed. Venison and wild rice. And you're like, sure, honey. And my favorite currant jelly. Why, Aunt Lou? Again, I fucking hate this. This is a real North Country feast. It's hard to realize we're in New York. Sure, honey. Sure, it's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, everything is just. But I just want to just take a second to point out the absolute ridiculous hilarity of the fact that Nancy's watching this this kind of washed up actress flirt with this Muppet cop and be like, "This is our cue to leave, y'all. Y'all gonna go to Pound Town, so we're gonna we're gonna show ourselves out." The most, and then on the next page, Aunt Lou frowned. She says that she's heard the name Dunstan Lake before. Carson looks it up in a directory, can't find it. Um, she t- Nancy talks to somebody else, the husband of the rich lady who was like, oh, well, let me look it up. Oh, shit, I can't find it either. And Nancy's like, my father, the inventor of Toaster Strudel, John Hamm, already looked up. I already know that it's not a town there. Somebody's like, maybe it's so small that they don't have, like, and Nancy's like, that wasn't even what we were talking about. And then somebody else says, well, maybe it's like a, not resort town but maybe like the name of a resort so it's not actually a town like it's not that but aunt eloise is like aunt lou suck it um aunt eloise is like i've heard that name before i've heard that name before and eventually nancy's like maybe it is an actual name like it's not the name of a town it's not the name of a resort it's the name of a person and that would make some sense too but her aunt is like oh well you know, I, I love helping out with your mysteries. And Nancy's like, remember how you gave me help in the clue of the old album, Italicized? And I'm like, oh my God, honey, just really? Okay. So Nancy gets home from her trip to New York. Sergeant Rolf. Anyway, they don't find the earrings, but it's fine. Um, They get home and... <laughs> 
when Nancy gets home, Hannah's like, hot cherry pie, yeah, and Nancy's like, if Bess were here, and Hannah's like, she's en route, it's fine, she called ahead, she's bringing ice cream, she's here for it, um, Bess tells Nancy that, that she and George, who, of course, had continued working on the mystery in her absence, had found another person who had invested in the company, and his name is John Horn, and he looks like a cross between Daniel Boone and Santa Claus. So he's got a long white beard and also just a lot of tasseled suede happening. So he's just rocking it. Also, he probably looks a lot like Clint Eastwood, but Clint, uh, maybe a happier Clint Eastwood. I don't know. Um, yeah. So they invite him over. He's stocky and round-faced with twinkling blue eyes and leathery brown skin. He's 70 years old. He's striding up the porch with a gait of a man half his age, of course. So Nancy's like, yeah, he does look like Daniel Boone. It's fine. They're talking to him. He brought a fucking mink into Nancy's house. And so he brings out the mink and he's like, this is my favorite mink. Her name is Arabella. And everyone's like, Are, should you be doing this? And he's like, well, I, she's tame. Like I raised her from a baby mink who he says was like the size of a bean or anyway, it's she's four months old. She's an aristocrat. Like I've got a lot of questions about his relationship with this animal, but it's fine. Um, he decides to leave, and then he hands the mink to Nancy, who was unprepared for this development. He was like, here, I like you. Here, have this. Which, what, who the fuck hands, like, an 18-year-old a fucking mink? Like, do you have any sort of ability to take care of Here, have this. What the fuck? Anyway, we needed to end some chapters. We got 25 chapters to end shit on, so that's what happened here. Um, there was a police officer at the door trying to knock at the time, but everybody was so busy trying to track down the mink that they completely lost track of what the fuck was going on. So that's fine. Oh, I, no, it wasn't a police officer. It was a guy from the film company that filmed Mitzi. And so he comes in and he's like, how do you know her? And Nancy's like, I don't. And the guy's like, oh, okay, cool. We can be friends because she's a bitch. So they talk about she was a good skater talented professional skater but she took advantage of her position and stole several valuable costumes and i'm like what were they gritty like what what were they were they like daniel tiger but made of solid diamond so many questions but anyway nancy decides to head up to montreal because it's time for her to help her dad out so she gets on the train she goes up to montreal to the hotel canadian of course and, of course, there's a ski run, which Nancy looks at, and she's like, yeah. Um, as soon as she comes up to the ski run, they see somebody who makes, like, a really good jump with a perfect landing. If you are the type of person who watches the Winter Olympics with rapt attention, please understand that I am the opposite of whatever you are. <laughs> I have zero interest in sports. So, anyway, he, he pulls off this really cool jump on skis. Nancy's like, oh, that was beautiful. I, I wish I could jump like that. So the person in question who just made the jump is her dad's client, John Hamm. Um, his name is Chuck Wilson, which, sure, honey, that's, again, that sounds like, I just wanted to dip my toe into some just light pornography. Chuck Wilson. Chuck Wilson's the name. Um, so he walks over. The slender figure in a well-fitting black ski suit turned and his head and waved. He glided gracefully over to them, his blonde hair gleaming under the band that held it in place. So, is he the villain in every high school sports movie in the 1980s? Also, yes. 
Um, Nancy's father makes the introductions. Chuck is looking Nancy over, eyeing her trim ski suit. Are you a ski fan? And Nancy's like, yeah, but I don't ski very well. And Chuck's like, really? Can I put my hands all over you while I'm giving you a ski lesson? And Carson's like, oh, he's flirting with you. Yes. Have dinner with him. Talk to him. I think that he will give you more details as he seems to want to bang you. And Nancy's like, I hate this part of your job, dad. I wish I were joking. That is pretty much exactly what happens. Um, They notice that somebody else is coming down to make a jump and something goes wrong and he falls down and somebody yells out, what will happen to Mitzi if you kill yourself? And again, it's like, huh? So Nancy, of course, immediately runs over and is like, what What the fuck is going on? And Nancy's like, do you know anything about the guy, anything? And Chuck's like, no, but I mean, I saw his initials. Because again, if you're a villain, monogram your shit on all of your possessions. He's like, oh, I saw big letters burned in on his skis, R-I-C. And Nancy's like, R.I. Channing, maybe, Sidney Boyd, you know, whichever alias he's going over here. Yes. So... She kind of explains what she's doing to Chuck a little bit, like, but not not enough to actually do anything because she doesn't know enough about him to know if he's trustworthy for this. But anyway, um, Chuck's like, can I take you to dinner tonight? And Nancy's like, I'm, I'm going to see if my dad can come with us for chaperone reasons. And Mr. Drew's like, no, you two should be alone together and and things. Um, this is... They they go to an attractive restaurant, which it was hot. I don't know. Chuck, she said, have you skated professionally very long? Several years. Did you ever hear of a Mitzi Adele? Which that's what she's found out is the name that she was going under when she was originally skating. No, I never did. Um, The orchestra started a catchy dance number. Chuck grinned, rose, and escorted Nancy out onto the the floor. Nancy had never danced with a better partner. I immediately became enraged when I read those words. I was like, Dad. Because there's a part in the book where, and I think I've, we're going to talk about it, where Bess is like, Nancy, are you going to break Ned's heart? And Nancy's like, shut your fucking mouth. You know that I'm not going to. You know that I'm not here for Chuck. And anyway, um, let's see. Nancy is thoroughly enjoying dancing with Chuck when suddenly Chuck seemed to forget he was on a dance floor. And you're like, how does one... The musicians had switched to a waltz and Chuck became a skater. And you're like, is, is he high? Did he take some ketamine with dinner? What what happened? He gave Nancy a lead for a tremendous sidestep back where it strained, this, strained the seams of her skirt. I'm like, I want to know everything about your outfit, sweetie, because I don't think it's described in any sort of detail whatsoever. Um, then he lifted her from the floor and spun her into a double circle. So he's like doing fucking dirty dancing moves on her in the middle of this attractive restaurant's dance floor, which again, seems to be a thing that happens in Nancy Drew books and absolutely nowhere else. Like there ain't a lot of opportunities for adult human beings to dance. And I did not know this when I was a child, much like I thought I would enjoy wine. And that was a tremendous disaster. So Chuck thinks he's on an ice pond. Nancy thought woefully, what next? As though he's going to toss her bodily into the crowd. He swung all around alongside her and they glided arm in arm and skating style through around the dance floor. I imagine Nancy with like this look of pained amusement like, yes, people around us. Yes, I understand that we're pretending to figure skate and it's super awkward for everyone. Another twirl through the air and then the music ended. Chuck clapped loudly and Nancy's like, sure, honey. Did you just have a, a, a break from reality and forget that you weren't on fucking ice? Which seems like a really easy thing to remember. Nancy, you're wonderful, he said. I want Nancy to be like, 
you you might want to consider looking at your environment occasionally. <laughs> Back at the table, she remarked that he must have been dancing all of his life. Chuck looked at her searchingly a moment and said, my parents were dancers. Would you like to hear about them? Oh, yes. So Chuck's parents were dancers. As soon as I read those words, I was like, mm-hmm, tell me everything. Um, they died. They were killed in a train crash when he was 12. It stunned me, and for a long time, I wished I had died, too. I had to go live with an ill-tempered uncle. He hated dancing. He he was the tiny town from Footloose and would never let me even listen to music. So he was a fundamental... He, he was sent to live with an evangelical uncle. How dreadful, Nancy remembered. That wasn't the worst of it, Chuck went on. I'm like, Chuck enjoys dancing, and his uncle was a tiny town from Footloose. He explained that he only recently had found out that his grandfather had left him an inheritance, but apparently it had been stolen from him by his uncle, who had taken charge not only of his nephew, but also of his inheritance as well. Uncle Chad had a small ranch in the North Country, Chuck went on. He gave me a miserable time in my boyhood. My only friend was a kindly old trapper. He took me on long trips into the woods and taught me forest lore. Okay, I need y'all to know that as soon as I read that, I was like, okay, so what you're telling me, Chuck, is that you are gay, that you found an older gay man to kind of be your Sherpa and gay things, and you have a connection to him. I'm not saying anything weird happened. I'm just saying that he was your mentor. He took you under his wing slash out into the woods for th- for reasons. Um, it was from him that I learned to ski and snowshoe and to hunt and fish, too. Like, doing traditionally masculine tasks. Tiny town from Footloose. I guess Uncle Chad became suspicious that the old man knew about the money my grandfather left me and might cause trouble, so he scared him away. And I'm like, was there a rifle involved? Was he like, get the fuck away from my nephew? Because I know, I know what you... So many questions. Later on, as soon as I was old enough, I ran off to Montreal, and I'm like... You know you did, girl. You know you wanted to dance in those clubs. Chuck continued, and now I've asked your father to be my lawyer. I want him to bring suit to recover my inheritance. Dad can help you if anyone can, said Nancy confidently. Yes, I know that, but it's such a hopeless case. I have no legal proof of my uncle's dishonesty, Nancy. My one witness has disappeared. You mean the old trapper, Nancy asked? Yes, John nodded, and there never was a finer man than John Horn, which again... Phallic symbol. John Horn! And of course, you remember, this is the dipshit who tried to hand Nancy a mink in her own home, which sounds like a euphemism. (laughs) Anyway, so Nancy's like, uh, let me just make sure that John is okay with, like, just making sure. It's cool. It's cool. Um, Nancy calls home and finds out that Bess and George are over, enjoying whatever Hannah has prepared, and Nancy's like, Chuck and I had dinner together and danced and talked. Hypers, George whistled. Hypers is George's catchphrase from like here on out in the mystery stories. Just so you know this, this is not a thing she ever says in the files because she would rather just punch herself in the head. But Hypers, so you're calling him Chuck already. And I suppose this Chuck Wilson is young and very good looking, Bess asked. Nancy could detect disapproval in her tone. He is, Nancy chuckled, but I don't see. I'm thinking of Ned Nickerson. Best reproached her. Don't you break Ned's heart, Nancy Drew. As you know, at all times, I am best. So when I read this, I was like, yeah, girl, you tell her. Nonsense, Nancy Counter. Now listen carefully. Best have a job for you and George. Um, Go find that old trapper. We got some work for him. Anyway, so um, Nancy and Chuck go for a ski lesson. Uh... 
some idiot runs in front of Nancy. She has to jump over him. She falls down and like knocked herself out for a second, but then she goes back to practicing. She's doing great. Um, she and her father are supposed to go home. Chuck is like, Oh, let's go to a, an ice show. It's like this thing, like a dinner party fundraiser thing that he's got tickets to. And he's like, Oh yes, we should we should go to that. And Nancy's like, Oh well, um my dad wanted me to go I don't I don't know, it's fine. Um, but Nancy's curious because of course she heard that maybe the Channings were at the ski jump. So they go there. The MC announces that Nancy Drew will be skating, representing the United States of America, and Nancy's father's like what? I did not know that you were going to go out there and skate. And Nancy's like, I'm fucking not going to go out there and skate. That means that Mitzi is here. So Nancy goes to the dressing room area. She finds out that, yes, somebody in matching that description had been in the dressing room area, but is no longer there. Um, and then Nancy decides that she's going to fucking skate because fuck this. And so this is the thing that she even says, and her father admits, that Nancy's a better ice skater than she is a skier. Like, that was just never a thing that she was really super into. So, Nancy finds a skating outfit, like, she borrows one from another skater, borrows some skates, and goes out there on the ice and fucking dances with Chuck, who seems to be a professional. Um, they spot the person they are pretty sure is Mitzi's husband in the crowd. They have a cop take him into custody because, again, we are like transitioning to a period where basically Nancy can tell cops what to do and they do it if they know her or if she's compelling enough because again her father John Hamm the inventor of Toaster Strudel like there's a lot happening um so yeah she tells the cops to detain him and they do like they just grab him and they're like okay well this young lady says that you're a bad person but when he comes up, like, they can't find anything to confirm her story, so it, it doesn't make any sense. Nancy finds out that where the Channings were in their hotel, but she also finds that they they figured out that Nancy was on their trail, so they checked out. But they said they were expecting a really important phone call, and so Nancy decides to intercept the phone call. So what she and they ask her for a password, and she's like, uh, it was a, they're like lake and she's like D dunston and they're like yeah okay so they say that mrs bell house will buy a thousand dollars worth of stock but they need some certificates so nancy's like where do you want the stocks and they're like to the winchester post office and nancy's like thank you for this is the most I don't know if it's the most hilarious thing, but anyway. So Nancy tells her dad, she's like, okay, so I found out where the people are. I know where they want the stock certificates sent. So we could use Hannah's. We could make a copy of Hannah's basically and send that through the mail. Um, Let's see. If Sidney Boyd and, you know, who the alias for who they're looking for is to be trapped, you must supply him with new stock to sell to Mrs. Bellhouse. Yes, and that's where I'm stumped. Could it, we copy Hannah's? Possibly, Mr. Drew answered. I know a trustworthy printer who would do a rush job for me. However, as a lawyer, I must warn you, daughter, Nancy, that it's illegal to print fake stock even for a worthy purpose, much like counterfeiting money. They frown upon it. So suppose I telegraph the attorney general and get his permission. Yeah. Yeah. 
So Carson Drew fucking sent a telegram to the attorney general and was like, hey, we're, we just need to print some fake stock. Just shut up. <laughs> and they do. So they take Hannah's to the print shop. They're like, yeah, we can turn it around. It's fine. They send it to Winchester. Nancy figures out they're in Winchester. They do a search and try to figure out where Mrs. Bellhouse is. They cannot find her name anywhere. Nancy calls the doctor, Dr. Britt, calls his nurse, the nurse's aide that he has. And she's like, oh, well, she's in a nursing home. And Nancy's like, oh, okay. Because all nursing professionals know each other. They have hotlines. So Nancy goes to the nursing home where Mrs. Bellhouse is. Um, she finds out that the person who she's buying the stock from is posing as like her like niece's husband or something like that, as like a, a relative's husband. So that's why they're not actually like a cousin, you know, something like that. So they do the exchange. Uh, Nancy has called the cops. They're on the way to pick him up. He's got the money. Nancy's got basically the fake stock certificates that have been handed over. Um, they chase him out into the woods, basically, where the cops pick him up. Let's see. They also have an x-ray of a letter that arrived for Mr. Boyd that is like, tell Dunstan to come across with some pay or there won't be any more stock printed. And Nancy's like, oh, okay, okay, good, good. So this is what they decide to do. They decide to go to the Adirondacks because that's that's where their clue is. Um, the letter was postmarked in New York, so they're like, oh, we've got to go to New York anyway. And so they're going to stay in Aunt Eloise's Adirondacks cabin with all the guys. They, they decide to invite Ned and Dave and Bert, who, again, are the, the ones that normally go with Nancy. Earlier in the book, George actually says that they're going on some sort of, I can't remember exactly how they describe it, some sort of event or something with some local guys. And Nancy's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Ned's not here. It's fine. But... Then when Bert and Dave are coming along, Bess is like, oh, yeah, buddy, let's do this. So, so because, again, Aunt Eloise remembered that she heard something about Dunstan Lake or Lake Dunstan in that area, that it makes sense that maybe the, the central location for the idiots that they're looking for is near there. So, they collect everybody. Um, John Horn, they've invited John Horn along because they want John Horn to confirm Chuck's story so that he can get his inheritance. But John Horn is like, I do not hold with newfangled contraptions with motors. I shall take a train. And I was like, you know, a train is motorized, right? Like you, you do understand that, that it's not powered by witches. What? Anyway, so he decides that he's going to take the train and then like fucking snowshoe from there. Like is, yeah, so many questions. It's fine. Nancy decides to take her car. I think Bert's dad has a station wagon or some shit. Anyway, um, so they're taking two cars. It turns out that Bert's car skidded into a snowdrift. They pulled it out. He was like, I need to get my steering adjusted. They're like, that's fine. So Nancy and Ned go ahead to town. They order their provisions. They pick up Aunt Eloise at the train station, and they take her home. Uh, a few hours later, Bert and the girls arrive. Bert, Dave, and the girls arrive. And they forgot to pick up the fucking grocery order. So Aunt Eloise is like, sure, uh, okay, I guess we're going to be eating out of cans for a hot minute. I love that it's a chapter and then conundrum that they forgot their groceries. It's fine. They did not show up for the Walmart pickup at the allotted time. So that those granola bars are going back on the shelf. Um. So Mr. 
John Horn comes up. He finds out that they have left their provisions behind. He actually fucking hikes to the fucking store, brings their shit back. Because they try to fucking ice fish these actual idiots. It's fine. Um, Nancy and Ned decide to go to the nearby inn because they want to see if they can find out anything about Dunstan Lake or Lake Dunstan or anything related to what they're looking for. Um, there's like a ski jump there. There's all sorts of stuff. Somebody says that they've got tickets for a trapper's dinner at the end. And Nancy's like, yeah. And actually like Ned has to pay for it because why would Nancy have cash on her? Hello. And Ned's like, why are we getting tickets for, and Nancy's like, I'll pay you back. And he's like, that's not, I'm fine. It's just like, what? And Nancy's like, if Mitzi is near here, maybe she will come to a trapper's dinner. And Ned's like, Sure. All evil people love trapper's dinners. Like, it's just a thing for them. They hear about it, and they're like, I'm going to have to fucking go. It's like a pancake supper. It's their catnip. So, um, they go look at the nearby ski jump when, of course, Chuck Wilson is there. Because if pancake suppers slash trapper's dinners are catnip for villains, ski jumps are catnips for Chuck Wilson. So, Nancy's like, oh, hey. And Chuck's like, hey, girl, hey. And Ned's like, I'm going to murder some." <laughs> Ned ain't here for this shit. She introduces the two young men. She tells them about the house party at her aunt's camp. And he's like, oh, my God, that's great. And then she's like, guess who's here? John Horn. And he's like, I have not seen him in forever. And I'm like, have your gay reunion. Please have your gay reunion. It's fine. Oh, my God. Ned is not happy that, that Chuck is being invited over for anything because Ned's gaydar is woefully inaccurate, but it's fine. Um, Nancy and Ned ski together. Ned actually does better at skiing than Nancy does. It's one of the few things that he's allowed to do better than she does. <laughs> anyway, so they go back to camp. They, um, And then this guy who has a mink farm mink ranch okay they refer to them as mink ranches mr wells who is near the ski jump is like oh my god somebody just stole some minks from me and Nancy's like stolen minks yes yes this has to be related my god so they go talk to him he's like i had some peltries stolen and i'm like i i don't want to know i actually don't want to know what a peltry is i don't know i don't want to know if it's a mink that's old enough to be heart quotes harvested or if it's like a a D, if it's a harvested, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, they have a brief conversation about the successful raising and caring of minks, which Ned's like, this is cool. Uh, there's a big storm coming up. We should go. Nancy sees something in the snow and she's like, oh, I'm going to go check it out. It might be a clue. And Ned's like, don't touch it. He gave Nancy a sudden shove, which sent her reeling away from the object. And she's like, why, Ned? It's a trap, Nancy. <laughs> But this time, Mr. Wells was running back toward them. Don't touch that, he shouted. It's a fox trap. And then Nancy's like, oh, oh, you recognize it. And it's like, yeah, I didn't want you to get fucking destroyed by a fox trap. So, yeah. Um, They see that whoever was skiing through the woods had a white sweater on, apparently. And, yeah. They get lost in the woods. They find a lean-to that has some firewood in it. Nancy has two chocolate bars in her pocket. The crackling fire and the candy revived their spirits. Though no one came to guide them out of the snowy wilderness. Finally, when the fire died, please understand that during this entire scene, I'm like, there is so much that is happening between the lines here. 
they set off again. I'm like, they took a quick break for sex. Like, they just needed to restore their body heat and also have a dash of sex. Because why the? what else would you do? You're lost in a fucking snowstorm. You have firewood. Like, I've written this scenario before. Y'all gone bang. Nancy's got a flashlight. So she basically, she says, I'll blink an SOS. Three short, three long, then three short. Right? Right, Ned agreed. And I'm like... Girl knows SOS. Oh my God. Do not, you do not need to confirm it with Ned. Ned should be looking at her and saying, have you suffered a head injury earlier in this book? I know that you probably have. My vast spy network that keeps an eye on you at all times is aware of every single injury that you suffer. I would have them step in, but that would negate the results of this experiment. So John Horn rescues them. He's also got some minks. Um, let's see. Uh, the trapper had about a dozen beautiful mink peltries strapped to his knapsack, which again, I'm like, does that mean it's pals? I don't, or is it, I don't know. She admired them and asked where they come from. Oh, I picked them up. John Horn answered vaguely. They're the best mink there is. And Nancy's like, dude just had some mink stolen and now you got some minks. And so Ned looks over at Nancy and he's like, what are you thinking? And she's like, I don't want to think that he stole them, but that's fine. Uh, Nancy gets a telegram the next day. It's from her father who says that he wants her to go to the local inn and call him. And Nancy's like, he doesn't sign telegrams that way. So that's fine. Um, let's see. Nancy goes into the living room and she finds George and the three boys busily waxing their skis, which sounds like a fucking euphemism. Literally and figuratively. Um, we've decided to go to the party on skis. The snow's just right. We'll work up a better appetite for the trapper's dinner. Of course you would. Of course. Uh, they see marks outside in the snow that indicate somebody has been eavesdropping, because of course they do. Nancy figures out that apparently they want her at the end for some reason, so they decide to go there, but um, Aunt Eloise goes there first just to see what's going on, to find out if she can find out anything about who sent the telegram. Uh, John Horn shows up with another copy of the telegram because the telegram person was like, the boy I sent to deliver it never returned. And I'm like, are we ever going to close that loose end? No, no. Is he dead in the snow somewhere? No. Okay. Um, so John Horn's like, oh, okay, well, I'll just throw this away. Then it's fine. Which again, Nancy's like, I don't want to, I don't want to judge him because he's Santa, but did he fucking steal that mink? I mean, she's like, maybe there's just wild mink around here. IDK. It's fine. Chuck Wilson shows up. Ned's like, I want to set fire to you. The, um, let's see. Chuck Wilson is going to make an exhibition jump. So they're watching that. N Nancy was going to participate in all the, they have like a three-legged ski race that Ned was going to do with her. But Nancy's afraid that if they announce her name that like that will draw attention to her. And she already knows that people are trying to apparently get her alone so that they can attack her. Uh, John Horn is like, follow me. I found something. And this is when Nancy sees Mitzi skiing, skating all by herself on, on a pond, which again, like, I find it really interesting. I'm like, she, and she's Tanya Harding, y'all. She just, she's in it for the love of it. And, and she got involved with some bad people and they're not good. Um, Mitzi gets mad. She's like, why is it, if it isn't little Miss Detective herself and what have I done? A great deal, Mitzi Channing. You've been selling fake stock certificates and you've stolen furs and jewelry. That should be enough because that's what they do. They just go from town to town and they steal furs and, and, you know, sell them at whatever, like half price because 
half of zero is still zero. Um, Nancy mentions Dunstan Lake. Um, she sees that Mitzi has the earrings that she has been looking for. So she knows that she's been involved in that. Mitzi's like, no, those are my earrings. And Nancy's like, they are not. Uh, she leaves Mitzi with John so she can go track down a cop. Um, when she comes back, John Horn has been knocked the fuck out. The cops, of course, have smelling salts to revive him. So he comes to and he's like, I'm okay. Even though I got like smashed on the head. Um, oh God, there's a hillbilly orchestra. Everything about that makes me horrified. Uh, let's see. She, they have square dancing, which I'm like, huh? She promenaded with Nettis, her partner. And I'm like, hell yes, she did. That needs to be all sorts of euphemism. Promenading. What is it involved? I don't know, but hopefully body chocolate. Um, Chuck Wilson comes over to join them. They go upstairs and see him. Um, John Horn is like, I, he must, the doctor must think I'm soft because he says I can't get out of here. Nothing of the sort, Nancy replied and added affectionately. You probably saved my life, Mr. Horn. If I'd been standing guard over Mitzi, those men, because that's what happened. Mitzi's Confederates came up behind John Horn and smashed John over the head and, and took Mitzi with them. If I'd been standing guard over Mitzi, those men might've carried me off and dropped me down some snowy ravine. Don't talk like that. Ned said severely. Ned ain't here for t- his girlfriend talking about how she might've been murdered. Like he's not here for that. They see a light outside at the ski jump and Nancy calls Ned and Chuck out to go with her to figure out why somebody might be out at the high jump at night. And so that's what happens at the end of that chapter. Okay, so there were two like snow figures or statues or snowmen, snow people at the foot of the ski jump. And so when they, when Nancy and Ned and Chuck go out there to investigate this, the ski jump, which they they split off because they they spot a few different shadows so they split off um nancy goes over to see somebody cramming something into the snow statue and somebody grabs her from behind even though she's about to call out for ned and chuck to let them know that she's found something um somebody claps their hand over her mouth and is like don't try to run away or you're gonna get hurt and nancy can't get away from the person she also like doesn't know where ned and chuck are she knows that they're off in the dark looking for somebody uh, another man joins him, uh, refers to him as Jacques, which Jacques is the alias that Mr. Channing was going by for a hot minute. So Nancy's like, <sighs> him. So what they do um, is they decide that she is, they're just going to leave her in a cabin to die. Like they're going the Bond villain route where it's like, we can't kill her outright. That would be cheating, but we can leave her alone so that she can, her body can be discovered. That's fine. So they take her to a cabin that has a padlock on it. Um, they're going to go get Mitzi and get the fuck out of town. Nancy is getting colder by the second. She was not ready for this. She knows that she needs to do exercise so that she can keep her body temperature up. But of course she gets tired. Um, she rolls around. She manages to get the gag off her mouth. She yells until she's hoarse. Ned and Chuck can't find her. Of course they're looking around and they're like, what the, and Chuck is like, I'm sure she just went back to the the cabin and it's like she wouldn't have fucking gone back to the cabin that's not how she is and chuck's like well you know maybe she did so they go back to the cabin she's not there um ned's like not nancy she never gives up if nancy's not here it's for a good reason she probably spotted one of those swindlers she's been looking for and is trailing him alone like ned knows his girl but they can't find her they talk to they there's there's some state troopers who happen to be out there. They were looking for the thief who had stolen some more minks from the the Wells Ranch. 
they ask if he's seen anybody. They ask if they if they've seen Nancy, who is wearing a red coat, the same red coat that she was wearing at the very beginning of this thing. Um, they're like, oh well, let, let's look first. So there's only two troopers, and then there's Ned and Chuck, and so they split up. They go along the the banks because they're apparently on a lake. They look around. They can't find her. They can't find any trace of her. Uh, they return to the cabin. They have no idea where she is. Bess is like, let's get John out there to do it. So John's like, she's in the cabin. Like immediately he's like, she's in the cabin. That's, they wouldn't have dared to take her far. She's in the empty cabin in the woods. It's fine. That's the only place that they could have found of hidden her. And that's like, of course. So the interesting thing is John says that anybody who is like a good person, if they have like a hunting cabin or anything like that, or a lean to or whatever, they don't lock it because if somebody's lost in the woods, they want to make sure that they've got something. So cool. But when they arrive at the cabin, they find it padlocked and John's like, good people don't do this, which, uh, you know, is interesting. It's the place is all boarded up. They have to basically pry a board off to get in there. When they get in, Nancy is passed out. She's unresponsive. Um, let's see. Ned was through the opening and flashing his light around the beam, found the girl lying on the floor, numb with cold and barely conscious. Nancy, Ned cried. I'm so glad you found me. She replied faintly. I'm so terribly sleepy. So... Ned and Dave untie her, they pick her up, they take her to the hospital, of course they do. Um, They gave her a stimulant. I was like, so they just gave her some fresh cocaine, or they have a thermos full of whiskey, which would not be a stimulant, it's fine. Um, Just to warm her up. They take her to the hospital. Um, Actually, no, They, they take her to an inn. And after she's had the stimulant, she seems to be fine. So Aunt Eloise is like, oh, Beth should stay with you and, and sleep in the same bed with you. And I don't, oh, I think that I made that up because I, I really wanted it to be Ned. <laughs> anyway, because that would have been perfect. Ned, you lost her. It is your responsibility to be here, to make sure that her core temperature stays at normal time all night long by being in bed with her and as much contact as possible. You owe her this. You owe her. Okay. So the next day, Nancy's feeling fine. Um, but then she remembers that somebody smashed something into a snowman. So they all go downstairs and, and they go check out whatever's in the snowman. Um, she had, you know, she was too out of it the night before to say anything. Nancy was like, I was so cold and tired. I forgot about it. Let's go see. Let's go down to the lake. Let's see what's going on. Um, let's see. They go to the snow statue. They find some, there's a bulky canvas covered bundle and they find mink pelts, peltries, so several soft, lustrous peltries. Uh, we must turn these over to the police at once. She thinks they belong to Mr. Wells. Um, one of the peltries has a small tag reading Wells mink ranch. So I guess it's, I don't, um, another thing that happened during the book is that Nancy finds out that Hannah has received a dividend from her stock purchase and she thinks that that's super fishy that's actually where she got the New York address from I think um, so what they've been doing is as of course they get more and more people to buy in on the scheme they can use their money to pay off the first ones to kind of keep ahead of the cops who are constantly chasing them so 
Hannah got some money back. She never says how much. The rich lady got something back, but she tells Nancy specifically that this is fishy. This is not the way this normally is given to me. This is a money order. So I, you know, it's not coming, it's not signed by a CFO. It's not from an official bank or anything like that. So, so that's what they've been doing. They've been giving some payment to their previous investors, quote unquote, to, to keep them paid off. So the police off screen have caught all of them. So Nancy and her friends go in to identify them and start talking to them. They're like, Yes, you stole these mink pelts. You're the, you know, you have the earrings, blah, blah, blah. Nancy finally wears um, Mrs. Channing down. Mitzi broke down first, sobbing. She advised the men to admit their part in the racket. It'll go easier with us, but someday I'll get even with you, Nancy Drew, for what you've done. Spoiler. Not in this lifetime. Um, Ned and I must be going. She talks to Mr. Channing and says, did you send me that telegram saying that you were my dad? And he's like, yeah, and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it just ties up everything. Um, Ned's like, I guess this ends the mystery of the ski jump italicized. And I'm like, we're being, like, borderline meta here with Ned saying, I guess that the book that we're in is ending. <laughs> Which it is. We've only got ten pages left. Actually, no, we've only got, like, six pages left after this. Um, and, um, it was exciting, but I'll be glad to just sit and talk with you a while. And I'm like, I know what talk means. In two days, the old grind at Emerson begins again. You remember that he's got a lot of very important undercover work that he's working on. Nancy, don't you dare get involved with another mystery before the winter carnival at Emerson. I promise the young detective replied laughingly, but secretly hoped another mystery would turn up very soon. It did indeed. And came to be known as the secret of the velvet mask, which is going to be our next episode. Uh, Nancy and Ned had barely stepped inside the cottage when George cried out, because somebody's in a car is here. Mr. Drew has shown up. Yay! I'm so glad you're fine, because remember that Nancy had disappeared overnight, and they couldn't find her. Um, let's see. They have a... Chuck has engaged a small private dining room. Are we in a Regency romance novel where places were set for 10 persons? Of course, that's what I call small and private as a dinner party with 10 people. John Horn and Mr. Wells were there to join the party with, of course, Nancy, Ned, Bess, George, Dave, Bert, Chuck. Um, there were colorful favors at each plate and a special menu with a promise of dancing afterward. We all know what dancing means. When dessert was brought in, the host rose from his chair. This is a happy occasion for me. Um, I've not only had gratifying news from my lawyer, Mr. Drew. Okay, so John Horn's testimony was enough to get him his inheritance back. Apparently his evil footloose uncle had not spent all of his inheritance, had just spent a little bit of it, but it was in his own account, so he needed to turn it over. Um, I've made some grand new friends, one of them the world's one of the world's cleverest detectives. Nancy found herself blushing as the others applauded because they know that that's correct. I've been given the pleasure of making some presentations. Mrs. Packer, who is the wealthy lady, has asked the police to present her diamond earrings and the pin to Nancy because of the clever way in which she tracked down the thief. Again, Nancy was hired to recover these items, and now she's like, well, I didn't need them anyway. Here, you can have them. Nancy's like, I don't deserve those. Indeed, you do. Chuck smiled. You deserve them and more. And you're like, but you're gay, though. Um, the ski instructor laid a gaily wrapped... You know, he did. Gaily wrap box on the table before Nancy. This is a, from Mr. Wells, John Horn, and me. Several glossy mink peltries, enough to make a lovely scarf. Nancy's eyes were moist with emotion. She did manage to thank them all and say she would wear the lovely neck piece in remembrance of her adventure at Big Hill. Again, I've... 
I just feel deeply uncomfortable. Just, just really deeply uncomfortable. Um, also, Mr. Wells, the guy who has the mink ranch, which is like a walnut ranch. You got to feed those walnuts a lot of hay. Um, he showed Nancy a note around his property whenever he was telling him about mink farming. And he also had a mink ranching the care and feeding of minks. Um, he had a big deer head that was on the wall and that was like, that looks mighty honcho. I would love to have that at the Omega Chai house to which I mentally responded. No, all the no. Are you wearing camouflage now? Do you often take a rifle? What, what the fuck? Anyway, Mr. Wells said that if they could recover his stolen minks, that he would give Ned the deer head. And so at the end of the book, Mr. Wells Gives Ned the fucking deer head. For our fraternity house girls, the old deer invites you to come to Emerson and help hang him over the fireplace. Everything is wrong with that. Everything. Oh my God, everything. Oh my God. Okay. That's the last line of the book. Thoughts. Okay, so the good thing about this book is that we're not falling into ridiculous racial stereotypes. We do have Jacques, who, Montreal, who apparently Mitzi and her people are from around that area. So we've got some interesting, like, everybody in River Heights who has interacted with, with these motherfuckers is like, they seemed really nice, coded for white. Like, they seemed like they knew what they were talking about, and they were very sympathetic, and they got me to listen to them, and I felt really bad for them, and... Like, they just seemed like they were going through a bad patch. And so, um, it's, all three of them are basically, like, trading on the fact that they appear to be wealthy, white, privileged class to get everybody to agree with what they're doing. So, there's that. I am happy to report that there were no racist stereotypes in this particular one, though. But the other thing that is happening in this book is that, first off... I'm not, again, I'm never really going to fully commit to the idea that Nancy is propaganda. Like, I, I just, for whatever reason, I can't commit to that entirely. But there is a lot in this book of Nancy basically, like, having the cops do what she says or what she asks. There's a lot of her being, feeling extremely entitled and upset when they don't immediately, like, say, oh, it's you. I'm sorry. Like, you're above all this. You, you know, traffic laws don't apply to you. Speed limits don't apply to you. Like any, anything that you do is in the cause of something higher and anybody else who's violating the law is somebody that we should pay attention to. You are, you are not one of those people. You are good people. So there's that. But these people that are just like trading on the fact that they, they're very sympathetic and everybody in town is like, Oh, I, you know, I trusted them. I thought they were really good people. And there's, they're defrauding people who of course, there are people who can afford the money. And the reason that Mrs. Bell, whatever, and who is in the nursing home, the reason why she wants to invest, and she's, she hands it for a fucking thousand dollars. She hands it over because she's like, oh, if I invest it, th- what I get back will be enough to cover my care. Like, there's people that are preying on, like, economic uncertainties. There's people who are like, oh, well you know, I know that you're in need of money. And so I'm promising you that you'll get some return on your money. For Hannah, I don't, I mean, of course, because she's working as a domestic servant in a household, like there's some indication that she might have some economic anxiety as well, even though 
like, especially by the time of the files, there's very much a, like, you're a member of our family, we'll make sure that you're well taken care of, you live here with us, like, you know, you're, you're one of us, you're good people, so there's that. Um, the other thing, like, like I said, like, you don't get a lot from Mitzi about, like, why she would be mixed up in this, but again, the books, as far as they're concerned, that is not their problem or anything they need to talk about, like, you know, why did they decide to embark upon this life of crime? We don't know. What made them decide that they were going to just give minks to people? We don't know. It's just like, this is the the scheme that they have decided to land upon. And again, the whole idea of fake stock certificates or buying stock in a fake company or products that themselves are like misrepresented or not accurate, like that's that's the thing that comes up repeatedly, which again, if we want to do it this way, yeah, it was fucking capitalism the entire time. Like if you want to rip that mask off because they wouldn't they wouldn't have been able to get the success they did without playing on people's fears about what they have and what they don't and being able to make money through investment, which again, the maid who was like, oh, I did it because I trust your judgment and you were doing it. Like, you are rich. I want to be like you. Therefore, I'm going to make the same choices that you do, even though that really didn't make a lot of sense in context. It's capitalism, y'all. It's it's always been capitalism. This is what Nancy needs to fight against. Anyway, so... Nancy, again, rocks at everything she tries, including figure skating. Well, that's not true. Like, the exhibition that they're in is, seems to be, like, a kind of low-key event, so. But anyway, yes. So, as always, my headcanon is that from then on out, Nancy and Ned knew where the key was to the Adirondacks house and made free use of it, during summers especially. Yes. I love it. I love to add to the list of properties that Nancy may or may not have a key to for banging reasons. So I'm thrilled with this. This is good stuff. Also, I love that they were stranded in a snowstorm and what could easily have turned into an overnight event. Yes. So uh, next week or next time. I have to say that now because I'm like, who knows? Who knows what's going to be happening? Um, Clue in the Velvet Mask is the next one we're going to be tackling, which is, this is another Mildred Wart Benson joint. This, the one that we just finished, Mystery of the Ski Jump, was like a fun romp through the land of figure skating. But the next book is really interesting because there's a lot happening in this book that I feel like is kind of groundbreaking for the series especially given what has happened with them before it also it invokes a lot of tropes that when I was young and reading these I was like oh these are things that are possible and then when I became an adult I was like oh this has to be operating on a level of metaphor that would be extremely interesting but like as a child everything about these things very figurative like very literal not figurative so when nancy's caught in quicksand you imagine literal quicksand you imagine her literally being sucked down into the earth and everything that that implies and it's horrifying but then when you read it later you're like uh if everything in here is a literary symbol then everything kind of shifts a little bit like is chuck incredibly gay my gaydar says yes. So it is interesting that, I mean, if, and again, because of when I went through school, the way I was brought up in literary theory, if you squint and you're like, mm, I don't even have to work that hard to apply queer theory to this. Yeah. 
I, I feel like it works for him. I've, you know, his, his parents were dancers. His, Mr. Horn took him out into the woods and taught him how to be a man. And now they've been reunited. So it's all good. It's all good. I'm going to say that nothing inappropriate happened, that they were just, he was just being a really good mentor to him. It's fine. Who was he played by? I don't know, but not Clint Eastwood. No, not good enough. Anyway, so next time, Clue in the Velvet Mask, be there or be fucking square, y'all. And as always, stay sleuthy, my friends.